0: Good afternoon and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, the show does not reflect the views of the Howard County Community College Administration and any legal advice that comes to you from our show is not intended to address specific legal concerns you might have. If you have a true legal question, you should speak to a lawyer. Today on the show, we have another unique set of circumstances. We have two of my college roommates, on the radio today, one has been a recurrent visitor, my law partner, Alan Steinhorn. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, Bob. Nice to be here again. And for the first time ever, perhaps the most successful and legendary of our college roommates, Paul B. Newman. Welcome, Paul.
1: Hi, Bob. How are you? this afternoon?
0: Everything is beautiful in Maryland. We've probably got 81 degrees. I know you are somewhere else. Where are you presently?
1: Yeah, I, I actually been a lawyer out in Arizona for thirty years. I live in Tucson, but I drove over to San Diego yesterday to start attending a, a three day conference on solar energy. Uh, a very big conference actually put on by a group called Green Tech. There are people from all over the country here, uh, the leaders of the solar industry, big solar, big
2: green. Is that the one that has something to do with the sun, Paul?
1: Yeah, well what I'd do, spending a lot of time for the last uh, 20, 30 years in Arizona as a legislator and a county supervisor and as a corporation commissioner, which is the public uti- utility commissioner of Arizona. We should try to make Arizona go solar. We're in the southwest. I think that's fantastic. I'm,
2: I'm teasing you about um, solar. It is truly my favorite energy source.
1: It is. We should all be using it. And as you know, uh, Maryland and New Jersey, East Coast states, do a very good job. Arizona should be the best place in the country for it, and because of political reasons, it's, it's been a bit diffused. But I'll tell you uh, that there's reason to believe that that may be changing. And I'm here in San Diego, California, right now. Of course, California has a 100% renewable, energy standard, the most aggressive in the United States.
0: They have 100%? And,
1: yes, they, they went 100%, and... Um, and they're you know, just an incredible amount of uh, economic activity.
2: Which uh, country is it uh, in Finland. Europe? Is it Finland that's gone all solar? Or, could, I, f- I forget. There's I, I a-
1: don't know if it's Finland. Finland has a, has a number of different uh, sources of power. So they do do renewables. They even have. You know,
2: well, uh, Paul, doesn't the solar
1: doing renewables. doesn't the but, solar but, industry
2: uh, take away business from oil and the fossil fuel industry?
1: No, uh, uh, probably not. Uh, the, the, there will be a need for fuel up until there is no more fossil fuels left. However, as you know, the, what needs to happen is uh, a, an extreme action plan. There was a, a power plan, uh, national power plan, that was put together a few years ago. In the uh, Obama administration, it's now been sort of put on stop. And what we need to be doing in the United States is changing our infrastructure, renewing our infrastructure, and we need to increase the amount of renewables because they are, at this point, cheaper. They were cheaper back in 2012, which is the uh, last time I was commissioner. Now they're much cheaper.
2: Paul, when you so say so commissioner... The could the
1: dragging are dragging... Uh, the development.
2: Could you explain to, to our audience what a commissioner is in the.
1: Uh, in yeah, yeah. There's, every state has public utility commissioners, and what they do is they set the rates for your electricity. Uh, they do many other things. In my state, uh, we play an attorney general role over securities, we uh, make sure the railroads are safe, we make sure all the pipelines are safe and we do the things that the federal government can't do to make sure the infrastructure is all safe, reliable, within our state.
2: Does but Arizona a have job. a big solar program? Does Arizona have a big solar program? I mean, you guys, you have tremendous sources of sunlight. You, it's a sunny state in
1: the country. And, and, and this is the major reason, actually an interesting part of my, this call. Uh, there's a proposal to increase our energy standards, by threefold, triple it, from 15% to 50%. And that's being managed by a man named Tim Steyer, who's a billionaire. I believe he's one of the uh, heirs to the PayPal account. He's the guy who's been pushing the
0: Trump impeachment, right?
1: Yes, and he has been. Tom, Tom Steyer. But he's, he's sort of off of that, and... Uh, basically, he made a decision just around three weeks ago to go into Arizona to increase our renewable energy standard by to fifty percent, which does the, is very reasonable uh, goal. Does the fossil fuel
2: industry fight that?
1: Not, yes, the fossil fuel industry, the utility companies, and for that reason, actually, I uh, for the first time I wasn't I, I've, I'm coming out of retirement. I actually announced my candidacy for corporation commission. Uh,
2: Congratulations, uh, and, Paul. You're welcome. And, and, and I'm sorry we I can't vote session. for you over there in Arizona. Who says you can't? <laughs> well, it,
1: it, I actually had an interesting uh, last few months. I had a professor named Norm Chomsky. I don't know. if Norm Chomsky? Him, but Norm Chomsky was my professor. I, I took a special course for him in the last three months, and he urged me to run again. He said I, I had too much to offer. And uh, he wanted me to run for Congress. I said, "Well, I might be more effective if I ran on the commission I could I could work to uh, on this climate change issue." And he said, "Well, that's great. Why don't you go do it?" Paul, and you could- urging, and the fact that the utility companies have come out hard against the 50 percent renewable energy initiative, I wanted to be active again, and that's what I'm doing. And, I'm either going to run for the commission or I'm going to be supporting this initiative or probably doing both and spending a lot of time doing it because it's the most important energy election in Arizona history. It's going to be one of the most important energy elections in the United States. I swear to God.
0: So, Paul, let's go back a little bit just to focus on how you ended up where you are. An awful lot of the focus on this show is an effort to help Howard Community College students you know, make some career choices, and you've had a fascinating career. You graduated from the University of Maryland, I think, back in 1975 or 76, correct?
1: 76, the bicentennial year. Okay. Were carrying, I was carrying a big American flag on the mall box.
0: I remember and going down to New see York. the fireworks at the end of the 4th of July.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: exactly right. I believe I was there uh, as well. In body, if not in spirit. I was there I, I both, know. I think. <laughs>
1: I wanted to tell you that I, I love the University of Maryland, I love the Turks. I love Maryland. Uh, it, it, it was second home to me, uh, uh, coming, being born and raised in New Jersey, industrial part of New Jersey, Maryland, was just uh, a lovely, lovely state, and it afforded me incredible opportunities only meeting both you and Allen and all our, our nucleus of friends that were still friends from 1972 on, and it's, it's just incredible. I started out in student government with uh, another one of your attorney friends, Mr. Schwartz. And, uh, and Bob, you were involved with uh, several of your friends in that election and and you were in student government.
2: uh, Did you go campaign for Jimmy Carter? Excuse me? Did you campaign for Jimmy Carter?
1: No, I didn't campaign for Jimmy Carter. But I wrote, it's interesting enough that you asked. Um, I well, the reason back. I
2: ask is I thought you were on the trip. I went to Florida campaigning for Jimmy Carter during spring break. I thought you were with me.
1: I didn't go on that trip. Too many I beers, Paul. Sorry to, about that. I actually helped Jimmy Carter get elected in Maryland, in a sense, because I passed a bill that said that at Maryland, the House of Delegates, I hadn't very, very, uh good internship at the House of Delegates in my sophomore year, and Jimmy Carter's famous thing in Maryland was a thing called zero-based budgeting, where he went in and he trimmed uh, the government smartly and cut, was able to cut taxes and do really smart things, and, and, and Maryland emulated that, and that was partly from a bill that he helped write, and I wrote a whole dissertation on Jimmy Carter's zero-based budgeting plan and how he's going to be an important influence the election that was written two years before he ran for president.
2: Paul, could you tell us a little bit about your public defender career? I think that would be interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I've always wanted to be a lawyer, and I started out being a public defender in um, San Diego after law school.
2: What and, was that like?
1: Uh, that was just incredible. I my first case out of the box was. Working with a team of lawyers on a capital murder case, a serial murder, seven victims. And uh, the case lasted for three years. And it was uh, made, made law, made DNA law in California because the prosecution had some DNA evidence and it was you know, the first case in the country in which DNA was still litigated. So it's mentioned. It's uh, D- people D- versus D- D- David Lucas.
2: Many people think. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: You no, know, no, I went on to, you know, I, went to uh, I moved to Arizona for political reasons, and that and, uh, yeah, we'll get into it a little bit later. But, but uh, I went on to be a public defender in Pima County and in Cochise County on the border. And, can, uh, can I ask you a question about public
2: defending? Yes. Um, most people, or not most people, perhaps many people, think that if you're charged with a crime, it's because you're guilty. Um, I think there was a famous politician that once said, if you're...
0: Ed Meese, Attorney Ed General Meese said, of the if United you're innocent
2: States. of a crime, you don't have to worry about being charged with a crime. I was actually so offended by that comment, I bought a T-shirt that had <laughs> written on it. Um, did you find that there were people that got caught up in the criminal justice system that were innocent, that didn't belong there, and that were overwhelmed by the system?
1: Oh, absolutely, and... and uh that's why I'm a lawyer. I'm the to uphold the Constitution, and that's what public defenders do. Um, you know,
2: would you uh, explain that for a moment? Because I've done some criminal defense work as well, and that's a very important point to me. And since you did it for such a long period of time, would you explain what you mean by you say you're defending the Constitution?
1: Well, people often ask me, how could you defend people who are accused of crimes or perhaps hate crimes? Everyone has constitutional rights, and, and sometimes they can be stepped on. And role of the lawyer is to be an officer of the court, to to point out constitutional problems in the case if you see them. Uh, its uh, yeah. arrests are not always made in the proper way. Uh, there are motions to be made. You have to work very very hard. But but my specialty is public law. So uh, you know I, I, I care I care so much about the constitution. It's just amazing. I'm a second-generation American, Russian, Jewish, American, but I think fighting for the Constitution is the most important thing I ever did in my life. I continue to do that when I made laws at the state legislature, and I continue to try to do people's laws that protect at least their property rights uh, in the public utility segment. But with regard to being a public defender, it's a great uh, way to learn the system. I urge every now and uh, young person out there to to still look at law, it's, it's, you need to fight hard. I think, I encourage everyone with scientific meanings uh, or uh, moral meanings to get into jobs involving renewable energy. I think that is the future. I, I think University of Maryland is a fantastic engineering program. I think they'll be producing a lot of these future leaders through our new infrastructure. So, with regard to the Constitution, though.
2: Uh, Is it fair it, to say uh, that you require that the government play by the rules? Is that what you mean when you say that you follow the Constitution? And, and yeah. And if you're going to convict my guy, take, do it by the rules? Uh, they don't
1: play by the rules. There's lots of hidden meetings. There's lots of hidden conversations. money has been taken over by politics. And, and there are very, very few people speaking real common-sense truth. In fact, common sense is being bent. That's why it's so important to to come back to the Constitution, come back to our foundations, come back to our, the separation of you know, branches of government.
2: Are you saying uh, we, we need to, to make the up, Constitution up. great again?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I'm not sure if I'll use that exact phrase. it make, make a great hat, series. Paul. Uh, it makes imagine a little of a uh, peaky-born president, but, but I would say that... Um, you know, uh, 1789 was the year of the Constitution, it's a living document. Um, I was reminded when the French president recently came to Washington with the amazing speech he did about how much of our ideas also come from the French Revolution. And, and uh, philosophers like Rousseau, Although the French president uh, mentioned uh, Voltaire, I would have mentioned Rousseau. But all these principles, all these morals, are important to study and to try to figure out your own morality and how you fit in it. But to say that you shouldn't, be, that uh, people accused of crime shouldn't be represented by public defenders, it's absolute necessity. And everyone deserves to have their rights protected, and, and anybody could be arrested at any time for anything. And increasingly, uh, we have less privacy and. And uh, a lot of people are feeling very shaky in the economy. And um, people are stealing there It's really kind of getting chaotic out there. So, yeah, at any point in any time, whether it be in your car or anywhere, you can be accused of a crime that you didn't do. And you'll need a good lawyer. And uh, and that's what public spenders do for innocent people, people who can't afford it.
0: So, Paul, you alluded to sort of an interesting set of circumstances that brought about your transition from you know, being in law school in California and then being a professional in California. And you ended up in Arizona for political purposes. Now, I know something about your record as what I would describe as an ardent liberal progressive. And Arizona seems like a very odd growth medium for such a thing as that. Tell us a little bit about how you chose to go to one of the most conservative, the the home of Barry Goldwater and John McCain as as your political foray.
1: Yeah, well, ironically, I got to meet uh, by the water and, and uh, became a friend. And John McCain, I'm on the first-name basis with and even though I'm a Democrat. You know, Arizona has a long history of bipartisanship. There was a, a congressman named Mo Udall, Udall who wrote uh, a book, uh, Too Funny to be President. He actually ran for president, if you remember. And they all got along back then, back in the 70s and 80s. And, and, and even when you all uh, got a uh, degenerative disease, John McCain would go every day in the hospital to, to visit him. That shows the comedy that used to exist. That not only exists in politics, but uh, with, with regard to directly answering your question, what, what happened is I, uh, after I finished uh, 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 Lost in California I went on a uh, camping trip to Chaco Canyon, Arizona, uh, Chaco Canyon, New Mexico, and Canyon de Chez, Arizona. Uh, many fantastic things happened. This was the summer of 1987. Chaco Canyon is an ancient uh, Anasazi site thousands of years with an incredible solstice uh, that remains to this day to be the most accurate solstice, uh, solstice that couldn't even be generated with, uh, without laser technology of the 1980s. People don't understand how that solstice got up there, but that's one of the reasons why I went there. In fact, a, a colleague of, uh, of ours uh, told me to go to, to, uh, to Chaco Canyon. His name was Chuck. Uh, Charles Arthur he, Pado. He, yes, he, he recommended that I go. On my way back to San Diego, I stopped in County DeShea, and there were, uh, was a retired couple from Bean Valley, a retired dentist and his wife that were broken down in their RV on the side of the road. I helped them and um, got them back for, uh, to to their campground, and I helped them for a couple of days. I wasn't uh, on a rigorous trip, I was just sort of relaxing after finishing law school. And uh, about to take the bar. And I had been so nice to these people, they asked me if I wanted to move to Arizona and introduced me to Governor Babbitt, who's then, Bruce Babbitt, who's then running for for president. He ended up becoming our Interior Secretary Mm under Clinton. I remember. But this was back in 1987. And they actually did. They got me a a high level job in the Babbitt uh, campaign, and that's what brought me to Arizona. And the idea was, after I did that, uh, not that I wasn't sure he father was going to win. I was hoping that Democrat would win that year. Uh, the caucus ended up winning that primary. Um, and I ended up taking the Arizona bar, and um, uh, within a very, very short time after that, after a couple of public defender stints, I ended up in the Arizona legislature in a Democratic district on the border in a little town called Bisbee, Arizona. 6,000 people now, but in 1905 it was the biggest city between St. Louis and San Francisco. A huge, huge copper uh, uh, mining community.
0: Famous most, for its all, steps, most too. Most of
1: the copper in the country that was produced in World War One and World War Two was produced in Bisbee. So, anyway, this is an old democratic area, is one of the few uh, majority, minority areas. And I thrived down there. I, I represented five counties in southeastern Arizona. Uh, the size of uh, my, my legislative district was the size of the state of Maryland. But uh, uh, Arizona is a very big, big state, as you know, the size of New England. So that's how that happens. But but I just had amazing experiences in the legislature and got a, got a chance to to run for statewide office on, for this commission. In fact, I was the last Democrat elected statewide in the state of Arizona in 2009, and uh, so I've had a lot of
0: successes. So you were the last Democrat to be elected statewide in Arizona. I saw that movie. That's yeah, exactly. So how many That's votes? Great. How many votes is getting statewide office in Arizona involve?
1: You know, I I don't have it right in front of me. There's a, an interesting. Word.
0: I mean, over the, a million votes presumably for you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, over a million. I got his, I got more votes than any person. I I got more votes than Senator DeConcini did, who is the last Democratic senator elected.
2: It's a great title for in a America movie, state. The Last Democrat.
1: <laughs> elected U.S. senator. I got more votes than Senator DeConcini.
2: Paul, may I ask and, you a question about what's going who, on? In- who actually, by the way, invited
1: me to Arizona, too. But it, yeah, no, no, I, a lot of this is my name. If your audience, audience hadn't really uh, noticed it, my name is Paul Newman. It's Paul Newman, and it's Paul Newman, and it's very, very catchy on the ballot. People know about it.
0: Famous, actually act, actually, One of the most famous actors of the 20th century? That's helpful.
1: Yes, and uh, he's beloved and a, a good guy. I had an opportunity to meet him uh, around the time of my 40th birthday, and uh, and and he encouraged me as well. And but uh, he he was he was a great politician actually. So, uh, but but my name does help. But uh, I also it's hard for people not to like me once they me. So I'm I'm a, a, a unusual politician that way.
2: Paul, can I ask you a question? Um, yes. It's a little bit different. You know, on the East Coast, we are pretty far from the Mexican border. How far yes. is Bisbee from the Mexican border?
1: Uh, seven miles. So can you give us some yeah.
2: insight here on the East Coast as to whether there's a, a large problem with the border? Uh, uh, I mean, I assume the yes. people of Arizona uh, are know, experiencing that. Uh,
1: Right now, it's, it's a political game going on. The, the, Trump just called out the National Guard again. The National Guard was last called out when, when the border was actually a pretty dangerous place, especially for the people who were trying to cross it. There were, there were hundreds and hundreds of people, still are hundreds of people, who die every year crossing that desert. It gets higher than 110 degrees men, women, and children. Is
2: Sometimes there an increase, get- well, from what you're saying, is there an increase in illegal immigration over the last few years? No,
1: no, no, no. That, that, that's why I started out with this national bar thing. This is all for sure. We're not near what the problem was when I was a county supervisor for eight years in Cochins County. There were hundreds and hundreds of people dying. There, there were people coming across unmasked. Right now, there's some problems in Central America, which is causing problems right here in San Diego, as we speak. They're having a huge demonstration in Guanajuato. But I used to be a member of the, something called the U.S. Mexico Border Coalition. We, we would lobby Congress on the increased costs to states that the uh, immigration problem causes. That is a real thing because sometimes hospitalizations and things like that cost money. That happens. And that's personally. public it's tax dollars being used. Yeah. Yes, and that and that. But it's but it's a national problem, not a state problem. That's a national problem, and and so, but but it's exacerbated on the border because what people don't realize is that uh, the area from El Paso, Texas, to San Diego, California, even including San Diego, with all its wealth, is is the equivalent of Appalachia in terms of uh, per capita income. So all these communities along the border, for the most part, are uh, low median income. That only skews a little bit differently if there's a, a Department of Defense base there where salaries are sometimes higher. However, so these are really, really poor areas. They've been swamming things across that border for thousands and thousands of years. And there are families that know each other on both sides of the borders. So we live in comedy. No one lives there, yet. almost no one, except for some of the more militant ranchers want a wall down there. It's pretty crazy. But there is a wall, and the wall will continue to be built, but but uh, it, it is impossible to build a Chinese wall. I and mean, the missing it is it's it's such a crazy thing to do. I mean, even North Vietnam, uh, uh, even not, not but,
0: Korea,
1: even North Korea and South Korea are now actually talking about their problems. Uh, to to think that we need to have some sort of uh, war with Mexico over this. Is crazy. We should be in comedy with them. We should be strengthening our our relationship with them. I, I think it's actually a racist policy. I, I think there are a lot of people who just uh, are scared of too many minorities coming into the country. This is a time of, of uh, growing nationalism. Alan, you and I talked about this a little bit. It, it reminds uh, us of the time of, well, well, in Europe it, when when uh, things got that from a authoritarian
2: standpoint, well, I mean. well, overlooked in all this is the principle that this country was founded on, which is give us your, well, actually, that was the Statue of, Limita- Statue of Liberty, which wasn't when we first formed, but it was basically a country that was open to immigrants. We needed people uh, to make the country grow. I would not be here if the United States hadn't opened its arms to my mother when she was freed from a concentration camp in World War II. I would not be here if the government didn't allow my grandfather and grandmother to immigrate from Austria around World War One. This country has always been open armed and um, that seems to be changing.
0: Well, in, in defense of the opposite position, I would say history would indicate that there's always groups of people who are open to immigrants and there have always from the founding of our country been groups that are opposed to it and almost invariably the people who are opposed kind of lose out and the people who immigrate do magnificent things for the country, and you start looking at crime rates, and the immigrants are much less likely to commit crimes. You look at long-term trends in terms of the economic success of the people who come from other places. They almost invariably seem to do better and open more new businesses and that sort of
2: thing. I, I'm a job creator. I'm an immigrant son. I mean, I, I, most of the immigrants I know are fairly successful.
1: Alan, I, I share the the immigrant status with you. I'm a second generation American. I would have never thought I would have been a, a lawyer for thirty years in Arizona and be a sort of a prominent politician there, I'm retired now but, but but still fighting for good things. I we've had so much opportunity, you're right. And 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 I believe in that dream. Um, well, it- I believe in the dream of the of the dreamers. I think one of the one of the most ridiculous.
2: Well, immigration is all perspective. It's your perspective. And a lot of of our laws changed in the 1940s when ships came from Germany. I think it was the St. Louis that was filled with 900 Jewish refugees that were trying to escape the concentration camps. And they were turned away. About 270 of them were immediately put to death in the camps when they got back to Germany. So our laws started changing a little bit when we realized what happened there. But this is a conundrum that's not going to be solved very easily.
0: So going forward, um, Paul, we are going to be going off in just a minute. Why don't yeah, you close the show out on an optimistic note about things?
1: Yeah, I will. Um, I know, you know you're I'm an, an optimist. I really am. I, I'm going to talk about climate change. I know that's a depressing topic some, but what the information i are getting at the Solar Summit is that solar plus this new innovation in storing the solar – so uh, you can keep it for longer periods of time, it will bring down the cost of power. It will also reduce fossil fuel, the need for fossil fuel. It will help clean our air. If we don't do something before 2050, big time, starting today, we are going to be in a very, very bad place. There are thousands and thousands of people working on this issue in the country. I urge all you now listeners listeners to... to some track of that it, it, it posts as a, as a number seven issue Pe- people can't concentrate on it because it's too big it's almost like nuclear holocaust how can you deal with that but we can deal with climate change and and uh and i, I just thank you uh guys for uh calling me in today it was a great reunion on on the line and um we could talk all day i'd love you guys
0: Paul, we'll do it again. I greatly appreciate your input today. Keep pushing your progressive
2: policies out west in conservative Arizona and do well, Paul. And don't despair.
0: <laughs> God bless you, guys. Thank you, Paul. This has been Everyday yeah. Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell.